0: Hi, this episode concerns not physical violence, but threats of physical violence and also uh, manipulation and fear. If those are triggers for you, um, perhaps you would like to skip this episode. Thank you. Hello again. During our last episode, I made a little departure from the usual straight narrative format to what I call establishing patterns of behavior that were typical for my ex. Far from being a laundry list of complaints, it is a truly necessary step in telling my story. I realize, of course, that storytelling makes for a better episode. But as I move forward, I believe you may discover the truth of how very little there was in the way of change in these narcissistic behaviors. Not over time, not as decades passed, and as maturity should have set in, but didn't. I think this is key to what makes life with a narcissist so infuriating. You would expect and imagine a course of anyone's behavior in a relationship to change slightly whether that be a marriage a friendship or something else my guess is that it's in marriage you would anticipate the greatest change especially if you married young and you stayed together for decades if there was no growth no maturity No give and take or letting go of selfish wants? Well, how many of you would want to stay married in that circumstance? Plenty of divorces are often put down to the vague explanation of, we just grew apart. And I want to say no to that, because unless you're a branch on a tree or a hundred foot sequoia, growth generally happens in tandem. And relationships should grow together, closer, sharing more, not less. There are exceptions, of course, and I'm not trying to shame or offend anyone. It is just my opinion. But another often used phrase to explain a split is to say we both wanted different things. Okay, shouldn't you discuss what you want in life at the beginning of your marriage? Holding back how you truly feel really, really complicates things. Trust me. If you discuss things honestly, you can plan the direction you will go and, and how much you will proceed. So that you both get mutual satisfaction and gratification from the relationship. I say all this with deep grief and regret because that was specifically what my ex-husband wanted from marriage and from a wife and family but apparently he got nothing like what he wanted and he just neglected to tell me that at the start of the marriage because the success of a marriage relies on a good start i think i should take you back to a very hot summer weekend where nothing had a good start. I was 20 years old, but closer to 21, as was my fiancé. Due to the need for our wedding party to travel several hours, yet still need to make a buck on a Friday afternoon, I reluctantly agreed to forego the traditional evening rehearsal and groom's dinner and settled instead for a late Saturday morning run-through of the service, followed by a groom's lunch and then on to the pictures and a 4 p.m. wedding. Once again, I should have seen the clues that the universe was sending out to me. First, our bridesmaids arrived one bridesmaid short, which also left us without our soloist. As the two who lived with her explained, the missing maid felt that I had acted very snippy once I was engaged. I should add here that this woman once locked me out of our apartment, including the chain lock, and despite my consistent pounding and yelling at 2 a.m., would not come to the door. So I kicked the door to break the chain, which I later replaced And a few days later, I moved in with my fiancé and his roommate. So, in addition to finding me snippy, my roommate also accused me of not sending her an invitation to the wedding. So she wasn't even sure I still wanted her in my wedding. And for those reasons, she had to chop me. I mean, she refused to attend. I was livid. And my poor maid of honor looked so mortified. How could you question your invitation? I wondered aloud, if you were asked to be in the wedding as well as sing? Well, since there was no time to argue, my friend who had come along, gratefully agreed to sing. Truth be told, I wanted her to sing all along, but the absent bridesmaid decided she would be better for the vocals. Just for spite, I have to share that this absent bridesmaid used to parade around our apartment in her robe and underwear when my fiance was over. And one night she had just tried on her swimming suit for a beauty pageant that she had coming up. And then she changed, came back out in her robe, stood within inches of my fiance's face, pulled her robe open slightly and showed him where her suit had made funny marks on her tummy. He grinned like he had just won the lottery. Getting back to the wedding itself, eventually the groomsmen appeared, still drunk from the night before. This was not going to be the kind of wedding where, you know, the groomsmen hooked up with the bridesmaids. I had one who was only 14. Besides, there would be no alcohol, no wedding dance, no party in a bar taking place, no wild ride in a limousine, just supper in the church basement. As I mentioned before, we we were both still only 20, which was under the legal limit to drink in our state. But more on that later. Prior to the wedding ceremony, my two older sisters were my personal attendants. I was a bit mentally checked out because I was reliving an incident from a few weeks before. It had been at our apartment when we had been arguing over the way he was treating his pet parrot. You may recall some of the pet incidents in previous episode. Well, the bird had flown over to him, but it must have bitten him on the finger. So he got mad and threw it up into the air and then slapped it away in mid-flight. I told him to stop hurting the bird and asked why he had spent so much money on something he clearly didn't care about. His face went completely passive. He grabbed the front of my shirt, pulling it tight enough to tear the neckline, and he spoke through clenched teeth. Don't you ever effing tell me what to do again. Ever. Don't think I won't kill you. That was playing through my mind just minutes before I was going to walk down the aisle. It was bad enough that I had woken that day with the the pain of what I thought was pleurisy or an inflammation in the chest wall. I later found out it was in fact an inflammation of the cartilage connecting the ribs to the sternum. Either way, it feels like you're dying. And I didn't take it as a good sign. It was later in life that I learned to pay attention to bad feelings like those that happened on the day of my wedding. Well, for reasons I can't give space to here, I believed I had no choice but to get married. Suffice it to say, I I knew I would catch hell from my widowed mother for backing out. If that sounds like a lame excuse or shifting the blame for my situation... Just know that I was chronically disappointing my mother. She once described me as a quitter because I couldn't seem to stick with anything. Not Girl Scouts, 4-H, piano lessons, hair colors, or college majors. I didn't want to hear the biggest lament of all that I couldn't even keep a husband. So, up the aisle I went... In tears, which I'm sure my guests attributed to genuine happiness, but in truth were purely fear-based. Even as he stood looking at me, crying through the whole ceremony, I believed that he would eventually kill me. How would I stop him? I knew his own parents weren't even going to intervene. I also made a choice at that moment that I would never reveal any of the painful or scary parts of my marriage to anyone in my family, and I never did until after my divorce. Okay, no more asides or time jumps. It's time to get to the rest of the wedding. The wedding night. No, <laughs> it's not graphic in the way that you may think of, but as I previously put a pin in the situation of being underaged and unable to go to the bar, I now pick up the story with the suggestion someone made that we drive an hour and a half to the neighboring state where the drinking age was uh, 19. It was pouring rain, and so even though I wasn't driving, I was a nervous wreck because my new husband drove crazy even when he was sober. We had two of our groomsmen with us, and we found some bar they knew just inside the state line, not a big place, sort of a dive where... Most regulars or truckers hang out. There was a band that night which made me want to dance. The only problem was that my spouse of less than six hours was not a dancer. Not like he couldn't dance, but that he wouldn't dance. In our whole time together, the only song we had ever danced to was me and Mrs. Jones, a song about a couple having an affair. That should have been a sign too, huh? Well, I was left with a real dilemma if I was going to dance at all. I could just opt out, choose to sit at the table with three guys and try to pretend I was enjoying my wedding night. Foolishly, though, I screwed up my courage and asked my husband if he would dance just this once since it was our first dance as a married couple. He said no, as expected, but then added that I could dance with his friends if I wanted. Yet another moment that in retrospect, I probably should have just left things well enough alone. But I had a bit of relief in that moment because I wanted to dance. So I danced with both of the guys at least a few times. And I had a couple of drinks that night. I don't like to drink much. It has never taken much alcohol to start my head spinning. Uh, But there I was, young, enthusiastic, and actually enjoying... The evening, I couldn't tell you how much I took notice of his mood because I was fairly relaxed and I was still new to reading the whole emotional range of narcissistic personality. By closing time, I would read his mood, but I felt maybe our time alone could be meaningful. Since we were all pretty broke, we found an honest-to-goodness fleabag motel, one room for us and one for the guys, I assumed they went to bed and crashed. Our room was a bit too tense to allow for sleep or anything else. There was shouting, crying, anger, and accusation. I was silently grateful for the pouring rain, which helped to drown out the volume of his screaming. He first accused me of being a slut, of trying to pick up other guys in the bar, even trying to seduce his friends right in front of him, of being a drunken whore. Then he told me, He could never trust me, so he was probably going to divorce me because he didn't want to be stuck with a slut for a wife. I reminded him that it was he who gave me permission to dance, but he argued that I should have known that wasn't really what he wanted. After attempting to reason or rationalize or placate him, I was emotionally and physically exhausted. I had to admit defeat. I would always have to admit defeat from that point on. He wouldn't kiss me, let alone do anything else. He threatened to make me sleep on the floor, but I begged him to let me sleep on the bed. He even said if he made me sleep in the car, I would probably just be off looking for men anyway. So we slept back to back. I cried the whole night knowing how awful my marriage was going to be. He hissed at me through his teeth to stop making noise, to quit whimpering, because I had brought it on myself. The next day, we had to return home in silence, which was embarrassing because it meant he couldn't talk to his friends either. When we arrived, we still had to open our gifts with my family and his. I tried to look happy, play off his foul mood on lack of sleep he was still fuming over time as we drove home with a car full of gifts he began to drop the act I forgot how long his self-induced celibacy lasted because it always ended the same way every fight of our married lives would follow a pattern he became angry, he shut me out with the exception of any necessary conversation, usually after a period of one or two weeks, he would say he wanted to talk. Talk, to him, meant sternly reminding me of what I had done wrong, followed by a lecture on what would happen if I was stupid enough to do something like it again. My parents had never spoken to me like that in my life. I remember so few times my father was angry, I don't even have a clear memory of the time. My mother was more irritated with me than angry, so I never could figure out what my crime was with her. I had never been routinely blamed, lectured, or punished growing up. I was without a frame of reference for how to deal with such animosity. Looking back, I regret not trying harder to establish my personhood within our marriage. My hatred for his anger and cruelty was rivaled only by my hatred of my own passiveness and fear. As my story unfolds, there will be more evidence of his cruelty and manipulation, a lot more. This was a significant episode in the story of my adult life, quite literally the establishment of my marriage. Not to put too fine a point on it, but this was how my identity as a wife was set in stone. And I say that not to solicit sympathy, but to extend my empathy for others like me. Take care. Be safe. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you.